Today's episode of The Recapables on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you, as always, by ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast. That's me. I'm with Mallory Rubin right now. Go check out ZipRecruiter at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Check out TheRinger.com. Bunch of great stuff going on this week, including the NBA playoffs. Mallory's fourth favorite playoffs of all the playoffs. I love all sports. She loves all Bill. sports. Um, <laughs> check out TheRinger.com. We have a ton of basketball stuff. I did two podcasts. I did The Ringer NBA Show Wednesday night, and I did my own podcast with Ryan Rosillo, which is up as well. We did two different playoff previews. And there's a whole bunch more, including Mallory's podcast, Binge Mode, which broke down Westworld. First Part five one. episodes. Yeah. As as always, I knew it was going to get complicated as you broke down the first season of Westworld. I knew it wasn't going to be in one fell swoop. What's complicated about discussing the nature of consciousness? Well, there you go. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk about episode four, Hell of a Ride. Also known as episode four, Chuck Sr. has balls. <laughs> episode four, Chuck sucks. Those are my other two possible titles. I had a, one other alternate title for what you is for that? this episode of Billions. Ground Control to Bob Benson. Ooh, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> kind of mean. I like it. The Recapitals, let's go. Connecticut Hall. I fucked three girls in there once in a 24-hour period. One in a can. You screwed a girl in a dorm bathroom? No, Sonny. Well, that was before AIDS. Wouldn't have stopped us. The fact that it stopped your generation says it all. We forged ahead. Damn the torpedoes. This was the episode that I came to grips with the fact that I just don't like Chuck. Yeah. I don't know why anyone wanted to be friends with him, yeah. married to him. I'm not saying he's a bad character because I think that's part of the reason we have Chuck as a character. Great character. What is good about him? He has no sense of humor. He's constantly put out. He's vindictive. He's not a good son. No, not he's a, good a terrible son. husband. He doesn't seem like he's a great friend. Why do I like Chuck? He's What's an fun awful about friend. Chuck? Ask he's, Ira what kind of friend yeah. Chuck is. What's good about Chuck? What's up with Chuck? Why do you like Chuck? You don't like Chuck. Who likes Chuck? Nobody likes Chuck. T-Max. T-Max forever. I've always been T-Max, though I find myself increasingly T-Max. They need to make Chuck more likable because otherwise I'm just rooting for Axe. This right. isn't like, oh, what side do I pick? This is just like, oh, I like Axe, the much more charismatic, compelling character. <sighs> I think for Chuck, it's supposed to be less like an emotional fondness and more a begrudging respect. You actually view him as a worthy adversary for Axe. And so you take him seriously. But he gave away, what, $28 million of his own net worth just That's to right. try to trap Axe in this right. like basically career suicide mission that now has dad's involved and his dad's balls, which we're going to talk about in a second. And Can't wait. There, there's a big dick versus balls discussion coming. I just want to warn you if you're with your kids in the car right now, there's going to be freeze frames and it's going to be awful. And Sean Fantasy is going to have a heart attack. We don't care. Do you want to do the 30 second description or do you, yeah. can you do it in 30 seconds? Last time I had 42 seconds, Bill. All right, I'll give you 38. I'll give you 38 this time. All right, here I go. Augie, start the clock. Okay, in this episode, Chuck manages to best Connerty again, but yeah. only by blackmailing his own father and thus further compromising his moral integrity. Axe 
finds another way to stay in the game, this time by tricking a charitable foundation board. But it's Taylor, who was having a bit of an existential crisis after profiting off Craig Heidecker, a.k.a. the show's Elon Musk figure's death, starting to sour on axes, tactics, and ethics. Ah, something to watch. Wags. Finds his forever home, the last burial plot in Manhattan for a cool $350,000. And finally, Chuck Sr. drops trowel. Drops robe, but Drops trowel, and it's controversial. And we're going to be getting that, getting to all of it in a second. I thought that was a great wrap up. Thank you. So let's take it one at a time. Okay. They've clearly positioned this entire season. I can almost imagine them pitching it to David Nevins of Showtime, where he brings Koppelman and Levine in. So what do we got for this year? It's like, well, Axe gets cut out, but he misses the juice. That's right. The He's ice juice. Get, he wants to get <laughs> the ice juice and the juice. It's Axe trying to get back in the game. He wants to stay in the game. There's a lot of stay in the game framework with this whole season. Yes. And he's figuring out increasingly nefarious ways to stay in the game, which now includes um, roping in a a charity, for lack of a better word. A well, charity. Listen, listen, if World Aid doesn't want Bobby Axe Axelrod and his Henleys yeah. on its board anymore, too bad for World Aid. I agree. That's how I look at it. Is he, and is he all Henleys and and hoodies at this point? He was wearing 100%? A, he was wearing a button down shirt at one point in this episode, which I found unnerving and dis- disconcerting yeah, in a like way that, that I, I struggled to even articulate. Yeah, I didn't like I it need, either. I need Axe to be in a Henley, a hoodie, or every now and again a really audacious leather jacket. Those are the only acceptable outfits for Bobby X. Do you look? You look down on me or up on me that I asked my wife the following question last night. Where do you think Axe gets his hoodies and where can I get one? Uh, and how much do they cost? Actually, those are three questions. I've never been prouder. Thank you. <laughs> I've never he had a couple prouder. hoodies where I'm like, wow, where do I get that? Yeah, he has great hoodies. Like a $1,200 hoodie. That's the trick is that it looks like it could cost $12, but you know it costs $1,200. Because there's some like leather in there that yeah. shouldn't be in there the just key. for a little extra like uh, consistency. Yeah, it's not really, it's probably not like any kind of cotton. It's probably like the the strands of a virgin's hair mm. stitched together into a garment of so his So that'd make choosing. it $2,500. <laughs> Is that he's the going a, rate? He's his veal. These days? He's his baby lamb to make his hoodies. So uh, Connerty, oh my I'm kind of lukewarm on Connerty. My... Do you root for more him. from Connery? Do you root for him though? Do you want him to succeed? Because him succeeding comes at the expense, by definition, of one of the main characters on the show. Right. I root against Connery. Yeah, I guess he's like the sad sack, and you just need to see him fail time and time again. He's one of he's in, maybe increasingly the only character on the show who actually has anything resembling a true moral compass, and has somehow managed to maintain a sense of earnest focus and determination that I find like naively, but charmingly pure. Yeah. And I also kind of just find him like weirdly handsome. Connerty. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. list of people you find weirdly <laughs> handsome is extensive and high. voluptuous. It's high, especially on billions. Billions has it's a lot of people, people I find all weirdly heights, handsome. Races. I mean, it's it goes all I over just, the place. It's incredible. People. I have a big heart. I you just do, love people. You, just, you always see the good in somebody's attractiveness. <laughs> and I just want Connerty to succeed, but I also know I have to be rooting for him to fail because his success compromises something fundamental about the show. Tough. 
I there's a character I like, and I apologize for positioning how I'm going to present them. Oh boy, because I don't remember characters' <laughs> names, but I like the black lady. Sacker. Sacker. So I've watched the show for two years and they said her name in the first couple episodes and then I never knew what her name was. And the, the character is Kate Sacker and the actress is Condola Rashad. I think she's really good. I wish we had more of her and less of Connerty. Would I, be my preference. I know I know that'd be hard to Well, here's the like who's the other guy? The guy who looks like the pencil pusher who's Dick. like Yeah, yeah, that guy. Enough of Dick. Out on Dick. Too many scenes Against of Dick. Dick. Too many scenes with Dick. I'm extremely out on Dick. Here's here's the thing. I agree with you. I need more Sacker. She has a lot of similarities with Chuck, actually. You know, came from money, then kind of decided to go the public service route instead of, instead of taking the big law firm dollars like she could have, like Chuck could have. The thing is, now that they're positioning Connerty as Chuck's new adversary, as yeah. his foil instead of his pupil— Sacker is moving into the Chuck's right hand man slash woman slash person role. You know, a couple episodes ago, Chuck opens that basically broom cupboard and says, like, this is our war room. We're not going to let yeah. Chuck Jeffcoat keep us down. We're going to build the cases we believe Fuck in. Fuck that Jack Jeffcoat. Sa- I don't want to see Sacker aligning further with Chuck. I'd rather see her feud with Chuck. Free. Yeah, like, this is my chance to take Chuck's job. Like, that kind of storyline. That's right. And grim. also, like, if we're going to have nude scenes, I'd much rather drift her direction than Chuck's dad. I have a lot of thoughts on I Chuck's just, dad. But we're going to, again, get to Chuck's dad. <laughs> but just for the record, our two nude scenes this year were Chuck's dad and the disgusting swimmer at the pool. Billions, don't think about nudity that way. I love it all. Come on. I love it all. What about when the, when the hostitute went to visit uh, Axe at his new bachelor pad in episode one and she's walking up the stairs that's it. That's where it ends. We don't even see what happens. But Chuck's dad, I get to have a whole 10 minute conversation with my wife about whether it was the balls or the shaft. Want to just have it now? That's the gift that Billions has given us. Balls or the shaft. Uh, my take was it was old guy balls. There's definitely some <laughs> sort of package. <laughs> there's, there's some sort of significant something, but I think it was all balls. There was some heft. There, there was, was some, some heft, heft, but I think it was balls. I think it was Shaft. (laughs) You were hoping it was Shaft. I have a third possibility, and it's a frightening one, but I feel compelled to mention it. Some self-fluffing? I think there's the the hair possibility. Oh, no! It's just how much of the bulk was just the- Kill me! (laughs) The- the, The Charles Rhodes Senior Market. Oh, no. You know, how much of the volume, how much of the shadows that we were seeing in might his have 80s, been he doesn't the, care anymore. I'm just saying. I don't know. You oh, know, though, man. I will say we did see he's in a he's in a locker room when Connerty approaches him. So oh, presumably it, if we've learned anything from billions, you never want guys in a locker room with a towel because the towel might come off at any time. Anytime. Presumably though, he's grooming. In some capacity, always well shaven. So, but then again, though, if you look at those eyebrows, I listen, think Merkin is a the logical deduction. Might have just been a balls slash Merkin combo. I think it was all of it. I think if you are at that point in your life and you're willing to go full frontal and drop your towel, f- f- just at like the like random like eleven or thirteen minute mark of the fourth episode of the third season of a show, you're feeling proud, and I so, respect it. Also, not just the full frontal though. When he walks, the, when he leaves ass, Connerty and he walks old guy the shower, ass. we got so much of that Chuck Sr., Charles Sr. ass. It was like astonishing. We've had 10 seconds 
total, maybe even more of uh, just saggy male ass Connerty, in the first season. Connerty has that great moment where as as Charles Sr. is uh, receding, and again, only part of him is receding. You know, yeah. his, his person is receding. Other parts are not receding, yeah, crucially. No. And he's walking away and Connerty says, why does this keep happening to me? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, do you think billions... They, it's weird. They use nudity as like a power play sometimes, like males oh, yeah. being naked around other males as like kind of an F you. I, I definitely think, particularly in these scenes with Connerty, it's been an attempt on the, the other party in the conversation to say, I am fully in control. Let me prove to you in the most like base way possible the basic prim- how little primal you way. threaten me. Yeah. I am not afraid of you. Because one of the most memorable scenes was when uh when Chuck's wife had to get into the pool naked with oh, yeah. the jacuzzi naked with the, Axe. The Wendy Axe. The, the Wendy had to just take it, take it all off. But underground she, pool. She's not afraid. Yeah. So the setup of the scene was Connery is confronting Chuck Sr. and it just seems like a pure shaving in the country club scene. And then it just goes haywire. And you were, you saw it before me. Yeah. You were texting me. You're so excited for my reaction. <laughs> Couldn't wait. Uh, unlike the last time with Chuck, after episode one of this season, when yeah. you were just texting me shots of- I did Chuck, not send you any photos. Chuck and Payne. Just thank coded, God. coded messages. <laughs> thank God. I mean- <laughs> Thank God you didn't send me those because I never would have been able to unsee them. Even we have limits. So yeah, so we have Connery trying to get Chuck's dad to turn on Chuck and kind of succeeding. We got to, how do you feel about the timeline jumps? Because this is a billion staple where every now and then you start an episode and then you flash back. Yeah. Into it? Out on it? It's kind of mixing it up. From a narrative standpoint, it makes no sense and there's no reason to do it and it's probably lazy, but- I think Billions does it just to be like, this episode's going to feel different than the last right. episode. Right. Every now I'm and then okay we're going to shake it up, keep you on your toes. Yeah. I think when they do it like with something like the Ice Juice episode and there's such an intricately stitched together plot, you understand fully why the choice was made. This episode didn't necessarily require it, but I'm never going to complain about bookend Charles no, Sr. You said scenes. necessarily. Yeah. This episode did not require it. Right. They could have easily just done this episode normally. Right. And it would have been the same episode. So there's a pretty good scene where Chuck gives a speech and he's doing it as a power play kind of with his dad. But the dad saw right through it. His dad is smarter than Chuck, basically, is is what we keep finding out over and over again. His dad. I think they're they're the exact same person. And that's why they are in this place together where they kind of have attempted to tear each other down in an effort to, or in an effort to prop each other up, they've ultimately torn each other down. They both always think they're the smartest person in the room, that they're able to manipulate the situation better than anybody else. They, they consider themselves master chess players and senior trained Chuck. Like Chuck learned everything he knew from his father. That was what made that speech at the, at the Yale 50 year anniversary so genuinely compelling is that it's total bullshit. Like it's a, it's a ploy. Chuck is there to try to manipulate his father into not ratting him out to Dake and Connerty. But everything he's saying is true. Right. I think the biggest difference between them, other than I think Chuck Sr. is a little smarter, is Chuck Sr. is a little more aggro, especially on the sex side. <laughs> and Chuck Jr. is more of the put a ball in my mouth and whip me and tell me about what a bad person I am, which is Though I don't want to judge, no judgment but here is a little is I don't I don't think as as 
in a dominant standpoint, Chuck Sr. dominant. Chuck Jr. likes Submissive. to be dominated. Though interesting. In this episode, we do learn that they they share some sexual history with with dear Ginger. So much material to work with there, oh including the quote, I fucked three girls in there in a 24 period, 24 hour period, one in the can. You screwed a girl in the dorm bathroom? No, Sonny. <laughs> Unbelievable. Truly incredible moment. Chuck Sr. just getting it done. No, what year Sonny. are we thinking? Like 1961? How old is Chuck Sr.? Well, let's see. So we learn in this episode when Chuck is giving the speech that his father had him when he was 25 years old. So they're only 20, there's only a 25 year age difference. Between Chuck Jr. is 50? Hard to say. I'm going to say he's 50. Well, okay, wait, let's think about he this. He can't be he the same age his, as me. I'm 48. His, he was at his 25 year Yale when? reunion. This, that episode, he was like, my 25 year reunion's just down the hall. So they All were right, at so their 50 and 25 year Okay, so he's 47. I don't buy Chuck being Chuck Jr. being 47. But all right, so he's 47. <laughs> so Chuck Sr. is 72. So he's in college in the mid-60s at Yale. Oh my goodness. Just getting it done, apparently. Lord. Three girls in that one one building. He's still I'm Chuck Sr. Still getting it done. One of the <laughs> one of the high points of season one is the yum time. Episode yeah. when we learn that one of seniors' mistresses is a board member for Yum Time, who Axe will eventually exploit. And there's the the senior mistress hotel room scene where she tries to leave. She's all flustered because of the the yeah. plot to take down the company. And he goes, "Honey," and he's like reclining on the bed. He's in a robe. I took a pill. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you love that. You love Chuck Senior. All right, so we have that whole thing, and then. I got to be honest, I fell asleep for like two and a half minutes in the okay. last fourth of this show. And I didn't, it was too lazy to rewind. Did you, were you Can awake you just explain? for the rocket explosion? No, I saw, <laughs> I saw everything. It seemed like they either skipped a part or I might've been asleep for this one key part. But Chuck Jr. got the upper hand on Chuck Sr. Yes. And then, which led to the kiss at the end where. Um, would you, would you describe which, it as a Tom Brady-esque kiss? Just the father or just. A father showing his son some love by kissing him fully on the mouth for a really uncomfortable period of time. Put it put it this way. If I say to my beloved son, Ben Simmons, yeah. the other Ben Simmons, I'm proud of you, son. You did what was required. You fucked me good. And then kissed him on the lips for seven seconds. Yeah. Kill me. <laughs> Just kill me right there. <laughs> shoot, shoot. Take a samurai sword and cut my jugular fade. And then my femur, female artery as well, just to make sure I bleed to death. Would you have also given him all of his third place squash trophies in that same moment? Have, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's another one, squash. They're just trying to emasculate Chuck Jr. at all times. Maybe if he'd won, I'd put him on the mantle. So can you explain? <laughs> unbelievable. Can you explain what Chuck Jr., the yes. revelation just in I can. 22 seconds? Oh my goodness. 22 seconds. So basically what happens is Chuck realizes that he had miscalculated with the Yale speech that yeah. making the emotional play was never going to work with his father. And what he does is he goes to Blackjack Foley, the guy who yes. is ultimately his kingmaker for the gubernatorial race. Saw which that. I was I was glad that we got the reminder that that or the confirmation that that actually is still afoot, that his political career is actually still a plot on the show. Anyway, I by the way, uh, crucial movie with that guy. Yeah. When you see that guy, what movie do you think of? Black Jack Foley. 
I don't know if I associate him with one movie. He was the pitcher in Eight Men Out. Oh, yeah. And by the way, for the kids out there who like billions, who like baseball movies, Eight Men Out is a really good movie and has a lot of good people in it and has held up shockingly well. Tremendous. It's about the 1919 Black Sox scandal, which is we're about to hit the 100-year anniversary. Anything to to help kids embrace baseball. So So anyway, Chuck Jr. realizes he fucks up in the speech. He says, I'm out of options. Help me. What do I do? And Blackjack calls in a state senator to basically threaten, this goes back to the Sandicott Kingsford casino plot yes. from season two. Chuck Sr. has land in Kingsford where the casino is ultimately going to go. Basically, this state senator, per Jack Foley's request, per Chuck's plea for help, says, in essence, we're going to move this thing. That land is going to be worthless unless, and he uses coded language about Eastern Elk, so that Chuck Sr. or Charles Sr. can pick up that it's the Eastern District he's talking about, to guarantee that Sr. will not cooperate with Connerty and will protect his son. And Foley is invested in that because protecting Chuck ensures protecting his political candidate, who he's put his resources behind. And also he says- So it's all about the casino. It's still about the casino. And he says, also, you have to trim your pubes because it's disgusting. You can't. That sauna scene is just horrible. Uh, Chuck has a good quote. I should know the man by now. Anticipate his reactions, not what I hope they'll be. I know this is, they say this about me at the ringer office all the time. Every time. Every time. Anticipate his reactions, not what you hope they'll be. Good, good, uh, good thing. All right. So we have that. Axe, pretty tame Axe episode other than, um, you know, he runs this little scam on the board. I've actually been on boards. Board meetings don't run that way. There's a lot more. You don't just sit down and the board meeting starts and then everybody just lets it fly. It's so much more boring than that. Yeah. I wish board meetings were that exciting. Um, I do I like loved all of it. Yeah. I like how he, he tries to own the room. It's all about this play for Ravion solar. Yeah. <laughs> and just one more instance of acts basically ensuring that he has his hands on money without ever actually having to make a trade and violate the terms of his agreement. So, you know, it is in, in some ways it's like the, the respect scale for, Chuck and Axe, they're sliding in opposite directions because yeah. a couple of weeks ago we were like, does that, is that, are we sure Axe is good? Are we sure Axe knows what he's doing? And this is a couple episodes in a row now where you're like, this guy is the master. Look at all of these ways that he's gotten millions and in some cases billions of dollars back in his control and gotten all these people, including Taylor, a very independent thinker, to do his bidding. I don't know if anyone's ever made this point about Axe. Can't wait. It's a, it's a revelatory point. He likes the action. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he yeah. came from nothing. <laughs> came from nothing and he likes the action. So that was uh, the the best part of Axe in this episode was that uh, Lara was not involved in the episode. No, Lara. What no, a, Lara. What a, a gift, DMP. A gift from the fucking gods. DMP. No, Lara. For Lara. Sorry, some, Lara. Some lovely Axe wags moments, though. So we're great. just contemplating. They they triple down on what death. we like on the show, wax and wags and X. It's great. Uh, and then the whole solar thing, the spaceship blew up. Everyone's horrified for five seconds. And then the celebration at Axe Capital that I was hoping for is they all profited from it. But then Taylor, they start having second thoughts about the morality of what they did. A truly great dollar bill stern moment. There's this this hush, you know, and and yeah. we, we do learn that Mafee, Taylor, a lot of people, even though Axe Capital has taken a short position, they've shorted 
Farpoint because the research says that they've pulled out on launch the last few times. The CEO, the CEO of the company is on this rocket ship, so they're going to be extra cautious. By the way, why is he on that rocket? Because Wendy spiked his candidate. Wendy in season two interviewed the astronaut. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So this is, it's Wendy's fault that yeah. he's dead, which is a real blow. But anyway, there's this hush, this is moment of despair. Saying? And then Dollar Bill comes in and says, who's going to say it? Fuck it. I'll say it. Farpoint is going to tank. It's payday on that beautiful short. And then all of Axe <laughs> except for Taylor and Mafi start celebrating this man's death. And it's a, you know, it plays for comedy, but it, it also actually is an effective reminder that th- these people are monsters. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it wasn't even effective. It was, it hits you over the head with it. I forgot. We talked about Axe and I forgot. I wanted to play the clip of, clip of he's watching Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah. And it's like I like when, I like when Axe is consuming pop culture and they like he would ever watch movies at ten o'clock at night. He's got nothing to do. And He's it's just on home. there. And then uh this bizarre skulls crushing part. Let's uh, let's play that. Yes, he is. For the cause. As are we. So yeah, Axe is just home and is Bachelor pad with windows everywhere. He's not getting laid. He's watching Inglorious Bastards. He's kind of hanging out. Savage, as are we. <laughs> yeah, we get it, X. Um, and then last but not least, I guess we should just mention Taylor. They're setting up something, and it could go in a lot of different ways. I think it would be stupid to speculate about it for too long, but clearly there's going to be some growth with Taylor in some direction. Yeah. Either they fully embrace the dark side or they come back and turn on X. I think what's interesting about watching Taylor's internal moral calculus this episode compared to other episodes is that we've already seen Taylor have to make the choice between whether they are comfortable with Axe's way of life and way of business. Yeah. Taylor had a chance to go speak to Connerty and turn on Axe and chose to not do that and to opt in fully into this life. So the fact that this was happening in this episode and not only that Taylor was speaking to Wendy about their sincere struggle with profiting off of Craig Heidecker's death, but Taylor chooses to actually make like a little bit of a speech to and Oscar, one of the guest stars in the episode who was a part of the World Aid Rivian Solar plotline about the nature of Ethiopian food and a communal experience and making sure everybody understands what's on offer and whether you got their share. And Taylor basically says, you guys belong at a steakhouse. Yeah. That was like pretty harsh. And I think spoke to maybe being ready to actually form a judgment. In a way that I found concerning because I don't want Taylor to turn on Axe. I want Taylor and Axe to be partners. I don't think Taylor, the actor, has been as good this year. I actually liked that character more last year. I I think um, the Taylor character seems to be struggling with how do I play this? Right. Well, it's also- Am I supposed to be more aggro with it and be like, this is my time? Or am I supposed to be more kind of calculating or- what is it? And I can't really get a handle on it. Do you think it's just it. that it's more compelling to watch kind of a rising prodigy who can't be stopped than a new leader who's 
struggling with doubt and insecurity. They're like not, one of those is fundamentally more compelling. They're not letting us in on what they want me to feel about that character. I, I need to know, do they want us to think they're devious? Kind of a prisoner of where this is going and not really liking it or what's going on? I don't have a feel for it at all. And I think, I'm not saying a better actor, but I think other actors might have played a little differently, given us a little window. I I like the performance and I think... I think at least at this point. Well, we both love Taylor as a character. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm I'm grading it on like last year. I thought that character was spectacular. Right. And this year I'm kind of like, where's this going? Right. So the reason I asked you if you just think sort of like fundamentally watching the 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 rocket ship that doesn't blow up, you know, the rising star is more compelling than, than watching this is because I kind of think the opposite. Like I, I'm actually more compelled by watching somebody grapple with insecurities that to me feel very true to life. Like when you watch billions, it's hard to look at what's happening on screen and say, I relate to that. But to me right now watching Taylor, it's easy for anybody. I think to say, I've been in a position before where I had new responsibility and a new challenge in front of me and I wasn't totally sure what to do with it or what felt right. Like there's something there that the show actually hasn't explored a ton of. It's always these people who never question their own ambition. But I, I agree. I don't feel like the grappling is consistent is my point. Right. They grapple with it in that one scene, but then there's been other scenes where they totally embrace everything that's happening. And it's like, what is it? You're all over the place. Do you like this? Do you not like this? Do you like being in the action? Do you like profiting? But I think is that's there a moral the key, center? is not knowing. I think there's a way to let us in on that confusion a little more. Well, the act, so the that's actor really is playing Taylor point. is just like, I'm a blank slate. You'll have to guess. And I'm just like, I don't, I think that's the easy way out with this. Okay. So here's a, here's a you question. Get it? I don't know if this is a byproduct or a cause. Billions might have too many characters now. And I a thousand percent agree. So when we, when we, when we think about Taylor and Taylor's arc and the performance to bring Taylor to our screens, we only see Taylor through the lens of other characters. We only see Taylor interacting with Wags or Axe or even, you know, Connerty. We when, only see work Taylor. Right. We never have gotten an insight what into Taylor, Taylor's what's life. What Taylor's apartment look like? Exactly. Well, we know we got to see Taylor decide to, to opt into that expensive apartment in season two that Mafi was trying to talk True. Taylor into getting, but right. What, how is Taylor decorated? You know, what is we, I, we're just basically led to believe and maybe Does part Taylor of this use is postmates or caviar. Great question. What happened after the conversation with Mafi about whether Taylor was a vegan? <laughs> that was the last we heard about, you know, I guess we know that Taylor didn't want any cookies when Connerty offered them, but it would be nice to learn a little bit more about Taylor, the person, I guess you could say it's consistent with the character because we know that Taylor wants to work all the time. But that, but that was fine the first year. I think this year I need more from the character. Yeah. I need a, I need to know more. I need to know why I should care. Because right now it's just work Taylor, blank slate. I don't know what they're thinking. And we're now 15 episodes in with that. Right. I hope Taylor evolves as this goes along. Well, you know who is evolving? Wags. Let's play this. <laughs> he had a great bass to tip riff, which I really loved. Let's play this one. You give, we match. You're in the Give Back Charity Drive. The largesse of Axe Capital on display, base to tip. Unless you don't give, in which case, we're matching thin fucking air. The email was received. I gave. Saw the amount. If that's giving, I weep for the women in your life. 
So season three has been Wags's MVP campaign. Incredible. Incredible really stuff. Really great. They had this stupid side plot with him looking for a bureau, burial, burial, burial. <laughs> I can't, oh, I can't say that word. It's burial a Boston, plot. <laughs> burial plot, which I actually liked and I thought was the best part of the episode. It and uh, I don't know, we, we're like learning more about Wags as this goes along. He's not like just this parody character. I actually started to become really attached to him. I loved seeing Wags really, really have to consider his own mortality and yeah. not really for the first time on the show, not in a, well, I'm just crushing and snorting oxy in the office bathroom. And also when you've called me into your new meditation suite, I can tell you right away that this is where I typically come to masturbate when you're not here. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what we're used to. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first time. His needs. <laughs> Everyone has needs. No, again, no judgment. This was the first time where Wags and Axe points this out. I was really considering legacy. What is it all about? Yeah. And it's very sweet to me because it's it's so clear that Axe's plight is what's inspired this. Wags right. looks at Axe, who he loves fully. Yeah. And just admires and worships and really, really cherishes and says, if this man could lose everything, what about me? Which leads to the... Burial plot. Better get my Burial eternal plot. resting place. Uh, also leads to one of the best scenes, not only of the season, but one of my favorite scenes probably in the show. And I think, you know, however you feel about the show, I think Mallory and I are on the high end of loving the show. Love and accepting it for everything it is and all its faults. Other people might think it's a little campy, a little over the top, all that stuff. But I think the one thing that is unassailable is Every once in a while, there's just really great scenes and really great scenes for the actors oh. and just good dialogue. And I really love the scene at the tail end about that Wags and Axe talking about dying in every decade. That let's, was really Let's hear nice. that because this is great. Dying in your 30s is tragic, as is 40s. Sympathy dissipates from there. 50s is such a shame. 60s is too soon. 70s, a good run. And 80s. Life well lived. 90s? That's a fucking hell of a ride. First of all, I just liked that they had that moment. Second of all, I actually thought it was really smart. I liked how they broke down each decade and I just never really thought about it before. I just thought that was an awesome scene and uh, a really good last five minutes of the show. It was really nice and it was extremely effective and actually surprisingly poignant to watch their facial expressions change as they were moving decade to decade. And you can see them considering basically the decreasing likelihood of either of them making it to that point in time. Yeah. And how sad that was for them to really think about, like, why are you living that way? If you're if you're a person like that. And you are devoting your life to your work and to, to the pursuit of your fortune and to the blinding, desperate pursuit to win, no matter what. Are you talking what. about you and me or Wags talking and Talking about us. Okay. I may be projecting a Pro- little bit. Are you proxying us? What's it for yeah. if you're not going to be around to enjoy it? And you could see each of them considering that in that moment. And then there's just that great final touch where Wags just plops down on the ground, stretches out, and Axe says, don't get too comfortable. Right. I loved it. Their bromance is really special. This is a show where... These guys have really no humanity at all. 
But the one thing that they can agree on and be humane about is when are we going to die? And that's the one time they become genuine people. Hey, you know, it sucked dying. And they can have this honest conversation about it. Meanwhile, like Axe has lost his family, doesn't care. Right. It's like, oh, where are my sons? Ah, who cares? I'll see him on Wednesday. Does not care at all. It Wags doesn't care about anyone or anything, but this is the one common ground that they can care about. Their plot line in this episode had a bit of a Tywin from Game of Thrones vibe to me. Ooh. Like the the thing that always obsessed Tywin to the point where it- Which one was that? The <sighs> little guy? Good God, Bill. No, that's Tyrion. His father. Oh yeah, okay. Papa Lannister. Why didn't you say that? <laughs> That's how I know him as the old guy who you died. You should have said Peter Dinklage's father in Game of Thrones. Old guy I who Charles Dance about. died taking a shit. I remember, Tyrion shot I him while taking a shit. Totally remember. All caught up. Spoiler alert, guys! Great. If uh, you haven't seen the end of Spoiler season three before Game of Thrones, always obsessed with legacy to the point where it blinded him to everything else in his life, including his own family. And when Axe is saying to Wags, you know, I thought this was a vanity play, but it's really more a matter of legacy. I found myself thinking about great men and women and people who are so attached to that idea of not only what am I doing now, but what's left when I'm gone, when I'm yeah. gone. Oh, I liked it. Uh, all right. Just quickly, the awards. awards. Most, most scarring scene. Um, Chuck Sr. naked. The fact that I was freeze framing a 75 year old man's nude scene to figure out if it was balls or the shaft. My wife fully participated in it. I think I picked the right soulmate. She was totally into it. We had to text you to see what you thought. I just feel like I buried the right person. Um, very scarring scene. I will be honest. The kiss might have been worse though. The oh, uh, the kiss is the a seven contender. second. Just first of all, watching Paul Giamatti kiss anyone is scarring. But <laughs> the seven second kiss with his uh, TV dad, I thought. So I'm giving this a tie. So you gave both of your picks for most scarring scene involved Charles Sr. Yeah, I'm scarred by him all Not the sure time. what this says about me. My yeah. This is another a separate award, but my episode MVP was Charles Sr. Quickly before I get there. Oh, I, but that's... Most scarring scene for me. Yeah. Mostly because I knew you were going to pick that. And again, because I have that for MVP. When Wags visits Mick Nussvow, I believe yeah. was his name, the uh, ambulance chasing injury <laughs> yeah. lawyer. And the guy he he who has secured has beaten him to the last burial plot in all of Manhattan and Wags yeah. wants to get that from him. Come hell or high water. He goes to his office to meet with him. And that guy is trimming his nails and his cuticles at his desk, which is a violation of all social norms and yeah. decency. It's pretty but awful. Worse than that, he's doing it over a sandwich. He has a, a deli oh, with a sandwich that. in the corner. It, it looks like maybe ham, a ham sandwich, open face. And listen, that is a health code violation. I'm still, it's a health code violation, but so are Chuck Sr.'s balls. <laughs> I think he he was in a locker room though. He was in a place where that was an acceptable way to be. MVP was definitely Chuck Sr. 100%. Unless, I mean, this is like a little bit like Jordan in the 90s. Wags could get MVP every episode. I, I don't think that's fair to do that. We could have the Wags and non-Wags MVP. I don't really care. Sr. had so many incredible <laughs> lines in this episode, even aside from the actual hammer lines when Connery's approaching him about Ira and Sr. says, well, I guess if you wait for someone to embarrass himself, he will. Mm. <laughs> Just little touches like that it's throughout the entire episode. He said, you want me to testify against my son at my peril and you don't even tender the reach around of immunity. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> oh my God, what, what a poet. Obviously the full frontal as we've already talked about. When 
you, you mentioned the 24 hour dorm room, dorm room escapades and the no sunny about screwing someone in the can. Probably mm. the highlight of the show's run so far. The moment when Chuck and Charles Sr. come upon Wendy and Wendy has just found out that she's she's watched the news or the launch. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that. Craig Sad Heidecker Wendy. has blown up. Yeah. And Senior, of course, he showed Chuck at the end of season two a photo of Wendy yeah. and Craig Heidegger leaving a hotel. So he was basically saying in an effort to hurt his son, your your wife, even though you were on a break, we were on a break. Yeah, still hurts. Slept with another man. Yeah. And so when Wendy, who does not know that Chuck knows, mentions this man's name, Senior just looks at Chuck and he's lifting his head and he's looking into his soul. It's almost like he's trying to look through his eyes. Yeah. To see if he can see his balls receding right. from the view of his face. It was just an absolutely incredible moment. And he says, well, isn't that a shame? Yeah. A real goddamn shame. Uh, and he's just savoring every second of it. And then in the bookend scenes, in the uh, the scene with Dake and Connerty. Yeah which is what the episode ultimately actually hinges on. What decision will he make? Will he turn on his own son or not? And he decides not to. And Connery says, we both love this man. You as a father, me as a sort of son, but it's time to do what's right. And Senior says, I would have thought my son trained you better than to rely on emotion when only true fortitude will get the job done. You have my statement, buckaroo. Buckaroo is great. Love it. Buckaroo is great. What a king. The other quiet MVP of this episode, though, don't even know who this person is. Yeah. We don't get a name. We don't really even see a face. The sketch artist who is oh. in the meeting with the lab manager who planted the ice juice toxin. And <laughs> here's what this man says when describing the person, Hall, who gave him the toxin and told him what to do with it. 50s bald glasses, medium nose. That's it. And this sketch artist creates He's a like Picasso. perfect yeah. rendering of Hall I was in on. And then, of course, the other MVP, no Lara. No, well, she was our loser of the week, too. <laughs> Best new addition, I'm giving this to uh, director John Dahl. Oh, that's a good pick. He directed Rounders. 20-year reunion anniversary director, Copham and Levine. It was that they were back. No poker scene, though. Could have thrown in one poker scene. Well, if Could maybe, Wags have gone to play poker at some Russian place? Or this could have been the episode where they introduced the Malkovich character, but it wasn't. Alas. I guess we don't really have too many other picks. There's the the Oscar Langstrom character yeah, he was and lame. the Nick Nussval character, but I didn't really like either of them. So. We needed one hostitude at, at uh, <laughs> Axe's house. Just somebody over there, like, just... Making macaroni and cheese for her and Axe as they watch Just, Inglorious yeah, Bastards. Yeah, someone to watch some Tarantino Inglorious with Bastards. Them. Yeah, and she's wearing like his <laughs> nightshirt. Uh, pop culture reference of yes. the week. Did you have one? I had a few. Okay, let's hear them. So when uh, the Axe Capital crew is watching the Farpoint launch coverage, Mafi says, and the papers want to know what shirts he wears. David Bowie space oddity mm. reference there. Uh, another, Very subtle. Another one that I absolutely love because Bill, I am a nerd. Yeah. I love fantasy literature. I'm not yeah. sure if you know this about me. When Axe and Oscar are talking, <laughs> Oscar says the future hurts, but only once. He's trying to to convince Axe to make this solar play with him. He says the future hurts, but only once. Denying it stings forever, like Shelob in Sirothungal. And Axe says, oh, 
That's a Middle Earth fantasy analogy, right? <laughs> Correct, Axe, it is. That's from Lord of the Rings. Right. No way Axe gets that. <laughs> Very proud There's of zero percent chance. Zero percent. I don't know. He's just home watching movies. No, just Maybe he's home reading Tolkien, too. No and way. then, of course, you already mentioned Inglorious Bastard. There's that great moment where Axe says aloud for our benefit, but also Ailes' benefit. That's the bear Jew. We also got a Beverly Hills Cops reference, a very subtle one. I miss when that one. Dollar Bill says to Taylor after the rocket blows up, you didn't put a banana in his tailpipe, did you? Oh, I did. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't even think of that as Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> reference anymore because it's, it's so, so ubiquitous. But yeah, you're right. The The DNA is Beverly Hills Cop. And then this was, I was really proud of Axe in this moment when he says, like the bard says, save the bold moves for the brilliant players. Anytime Axe is referencing Shakespeare in any way, the bard. I'm down. And then another dubious. literary one. Yeah. The end, Chuck drinking Johnny Walker blue right before his father comes over. And he's reading Raymond Chandler. Wow. The long goodbye. How very wow. fitting given what happened next. The long kiss. Interesting. And the long farewell with his father. I think my favorite of those is the David Bowie. Yeah, that Subtle, was a good one. Effective. Good sports reference too with the the Coach Chickenov and Lake Placid from Max. Yeah. We got that as well. That's a sports ball analogy, right? Quote of the week. Ugh. We already had the quote of the week, which ended with one in the can. Just incredible. <laughs> I rewound it. I was like, did he just did one of those? But I, I just want to put this on the radar as well. Just one more. Okay. Chuck saying, it broke parts of me I didn't know existed. Very tough. Chuck, get over yourself. Very just, tough. Just go get in a car and drive off a cliff already. What's fun about your life, Chuck? I have a question. What for do you, you like about life? Just give me two things you enjoy other than just putting a ball in your mouth and climbing on a cage and being whipped <laughs> by your wife. Do you enjoy anything else? Uh, Why do he I like you, Chuck? cold pasta out of the it fridge. It broke parts of me I didn't know existed. If I had any friend who would say who said that to me, I'd be like, we're just not friends anymore. I'm just sorry. Do you buy- You're out of my fantasy league. Oh my goodness. Is that a personal not threat? Not you. I'm just saying yeah. anybody. <laughs> do you buy for a moment that Chuck would never have told Wendy how he lost his virginity? Well, he's such a wimp. I mean, I I'm sure he really would have a hard time believing that. Her entire thing is open up to me and tell me everything about who you are. Are we sure Wendy's a good therapist? I have Wendy uh, a Wendy speech coming up. Quickly, well, since we're already this long, I'm just going to give my quotes of the week. Yeah, you might as well. No Jesus. discipline at this point. Right. Chuck on Chuck Sr. He quite enjoys the presence of the dead. Makes him feel victorious. I actually thought that was very funny. That was good. And you've been very mean to Chuck, justifiably so. So I'm going to give Chuck a little bit of a prop there. He can go uh, to hell. What else? I've already said some of these. I like Taylor's assessment of Craig. His charm is a liability. It means people believe whatever they tell him. And he believes it too. I thought that was one of those moments where the show is actually wow. extremely kind insightful about yeah. something about okay. human nature there. Great Wags moment with the, your your boys, the Winkle Tech twins, when they find out who has gotten the, the burial plot ahead of him. And he says, bill me for your time. They say, Axe offered to cover. And he says, I hope you're as good to each other as he is to me. <laughs> Just <laughs> absolutely love that. And then there's the Axe moment with the World Aid board member in front of the King, the St. Regis King Cole bar. And, and they've been talking about how the jesters, what, what are what's happening in the mural? King Cole's smiling because he's yeah. passed his royal wind, his royal air. And Axe says, after this whole confrontation plays out, fart in my fucking presence and your reign will meet a swift end. It's great stuff. It's just poetry. My wife asked me yesterday, what do real people talk like the characters on Billions? And we decided not totally. No, I don't think so. I don't think most people are that smart or that confident. 
Very smart, confident, with pop culture references ready for the go. But that's one of the reasons we love the show. Uh, Loser of the week? Well, it's Laura. She got she got a DMP. Oh, she she fucking we she all DMP'd win. It. We all win because there's no Lara. I mean, I would have Chuck as the loser of the week too. I thought this was another rough episode for he Chuck. He does, in his defense, though, he does kind of sort of win for the first time in a while, just in the sense that he isn't outed. He wins in the same way that the Orioles win a game oh that Machado God. leaves in the fourth inning because he got hit in the arm. Just, just uncalled. It's like the Orioles win, but. Chuck won, but it was another awful episode for Chuck. My loser of the week is Wendy. To me, Wendy was actually the MVP of the first two seasons of the show in a lot of ways. And I'm worried that she is now kind of reduced to giving, in repeating sequences with different characters and different conversations, one bit of advice, which is exploit it. Find your angle. Challenge him. Do it. Like, she is being boiled down to kind of almost a pep talk life coach in a way that doesn't feel... Totally true to what we know about that character. She lost Bob Benson. Very tough. She was found out by Chuck. Sorry, Wendy, for your loss. She gets very emotional. She kind of breaks. She breaks twice in two sessions. Once with Taylor, who was in there to talk about how Taylor admires Craig Heidecker. As close to faultless precision as possible. That's how he lived. Taylor's processing these emotions. And Wendy says, I know how he lived. Starting to tear up. We uh, worked together briefly. Wendy, hold it together a little bit better than that. And then same thing in the conversation with Axe, where he's like, I want to push. I want to go. Wendy says, retreat, fall back. We defend. And then at the end says, it's where you're at. We both are. Wendy, stop inserting yourself into the situation that your client is facing in this moment. And then again, how would Wendy not know how Chuck lost his virginity to Ginger? I just didn't buy that. And Wendy just hasn't done anything notable this season. And it's sad because Wendy's one of my favorite characters. Here's my fear with Wendy. We can end on this. I wonder if she's like one of those college football coaches or or pro football coaches. Like when Jim Harbaugh went to the Niners and for two years, it's really inspiring and they're they're basically saying all this stuff to you and you're like, yeah, coach, oh yeah. But then after two years, you realize they only have about eight points and they're just recycling through the eight points and all of a sudden you're not as motivated anymore and there's no second layer to whatever's going on. She's just moving around the show now as this kind of instant therapy, almost like when we have, uh, I can't remember one of the ads we do on the BS podcast is the masseuse that shows up <laughs> and you just so you basically check mark in right. male, female, all that stuff. And then they show up and they give you a massage. And that's kind of what she is now at X capital. It's like, I need to bear my soul for 20 minutes. Oh, Wendy can come in from 1140 to 12 and bear your soul to her. And she'll just nod and have a really kind of curious, suspicious look on her face. I think Wendy <laughs> needs a new love interest. I agree. I'm not, that's part of it. I'm not We're, into Wendy and Chuck. It's the worst, it's America's worst couple. Being back together. The worst like couple of all time was Andrea Zuckerman and Jesse the bartender on 902 <laughs> going back 30 years. Do you want Wendy this to find- This is the second worst couple of all time. Do you want Wendy to find new love or do you want to see something happen with Wendy and Axe? Because Craig Heidegger is off the table. Now, I feel like when Wendy and Axe get together, that's like the show's that's, final card. That's season seven. That's like how, when on the sitcom, the 80s or 90s sitcom, when they have a they have a kid, you know, it's over. Like oh, on Growing yes. Pains, they have yeah. a kid. 
any of those shows. It's right. like, oh, they're, oh, they're pregnant, even you though all the, the other kids are grown up. You need the tension. You need the mystery to propel the show. Once the baby shows up, it's done. Once a- once Axe and Wendy start doing it, it'll be fun for two episodes. Then it's over. They should it's bring like when back- Joey Joey had a crush on Rachel on Friends. Yes. They when should, friends was had been bad for five years, and then it was like they their one last card to play was some friend not all of a sudden realizing they loved another friend. Maybe they should bring back the headhunter who was trying to help Wendy find another job earlier in the show's run. He was handsome. They seemed to have some chemistry. Maybe no. Wendy should get drunk and no, you're you're thinking about this totally wrong. Take a spin with Dollar Bill. I hate to slap you on the wrist like this. He's got two families already. I hate Why to not slap you on the wrist like this. What she needs to fall in love with, yeah. Is herself. Is somebody like Axe, another billionaire hedge fund guy who Axe will be both competitive and threatened by. That is the move for Wendy. And now Axe is like, wait, do I like Wendy? Why am I so annoyed by this? And it's like, oh, this is, he's the owner of Marquee Jets. Okay. And Axe is like, Marquee Jets, that's a discount plane. And he's like, he he's always trying to cut it down. I don't disagree with you, but counterpoint, they could have just played that out then with Craig Heidegger because who's going to threaten- That's not a threat to Axe. What? It's, it, but Elon they're not, Musk isn't a no, threat to they're Axe? Not, they're not in the same, they're nope, just, it's a right. rich guy threat. They're not, they're not, it's not an actual competitor threat. What? Oh, you're saying it has to specifically be in Axe's realm? It's somebody on Axe's corner. Like Lara coming in with Stephen Birch, with Jerry O'Connell. But the, even that guy, Axe, remember, he that's, cut him down. But that's the thing. That's why I don't think that would bother him with Wendy. I'm because saying he it's take like those people seriously. from they, Johnson Capital. But they did that with- <laughs> I'm just making up another capital. Big Johnson Capital. Thick Johnson Who Capital. Who is Axe's rival? Do we know? Well, they did that with Todd Krakow, right? When he was one of the, the main- Now he's in the treasury. So he's, you know, in the political game. And probably they couldn't bring him back in this exact way. What about but, a hotshot hedge fund dude who also owns an NFL team? The one thing Axe couldn't do. Guy, he owns like the Philadelphia Eagles, but he's also he's also one of the most successful hedge fund people. And now Wendy likes him. That's compelling. Does he also have a personal chef and a favorite pizza spot? Both. Has he ever given Wendy a Maserati? Yes. Will he give he her something her, he nicer her a than a Maserati? A Lambo. He gave her a Lambo. She definitely can't fit the squash trophies in there. Oh, and guess where he's from? <laughs> Laura's hometown. Inwood. He dated Laura when she was like a <laughs> freshman in high school. Oh my goodness. I need jealous acts. Jealous Can Axe get is good. jealous? I think he gets. I it's like a really good question. I don't think he even acknowledges jealousy because he thinks he's so superior. I think he sees threats and then he processes them practically. He's not jealous of Chuck. He wants to grind him into dust because he doesn't like the idea that anybody would dare to challenge him. Here's Wendy's character right now. In a really boring, terrible marriage and just kind of floats around as this walking fortune cookie for people at Axe Capital. I think we need more. Very tough. Step it up, Wendy. Uh, back next week on the Recap Bulls. Don't forget to check out TheRinger.com. Don't forget to check out the BS Podcast, Ryan Rosillo, uh, NBA Playoff Preview. Don't forget to check out Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion on Binge Mode, breaking down first five episodes of Westworld. As always, a pleasure, Mallory. Before we go, we wanted to thank our friends at songfinch.com for our theme song. Check out Songfinch to turn your stories, memories, and feelings into a one-of-a-kind song by professional musicians. Makes the perfect gift for any occasion. songfinch.com.